You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, there's four teams left, ladies and gentlemen. We've been here before. I used the wrong intro again. That's fine. It's It doesn't matter. I want to get started. I need to just delete that. I don't even know where that one comes from. Just delete it forever. But there's four teams left, and I... And at least in so, f- it's not. No, I, th- I think these are the, these are the best four teams. I think these have always been the best four teams. I've been saying the hottest teams in football right now are the Buffalo Bills, the Packers, and the Bucks, and the Chiefs are the Chiefs. I mean, they're just they're just a very good football team, despite all the flaws, despite the the kind of what what's going on with them. They don't seem to be the 2019 Chiefs. They're still kind of the 2019 Chiefs, at least insofar as maybe they're not as dominant, but they just win. And that's a credit especially to Andy Reid, who, by the way, does not get enough credit ever. I know he gets a lot of credit, but the media's absolute obsession and infatuation with Pat Mahomes makes it impossible to give Andy Reid enough credit. Because anything good that happens is obviously Pat Mahomes is doing. And whatever leftover scraps there is to benefit or to praise people, it goes to Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Or Clyde Edwards-Elair, for some stupid reason. He's not even that good of a running back but we gotta heat because it's the Chiefs man I don't think I realized the media's infatuation with the Chiefs until I watched that game yesterday I guess I'm just living in a dungeon I I mean I knew that they were kind of the darlings and I knew Pat Mahomes was for sure but man listening to those two announcers basically acting as Chiefs fans I don't know if I've ever heard anything like that before like they forgot they were supposed to be impartial it was remarkable Talking about how nervous, I'm so nervous, you're nervous, the whole world is nervous. Oh my goodness, the season's on the line here. Guys, <laughs> the the brown season is on the line too, you know. They said that like three times. Oh, I'm so, I've never been so nervous. The world is so nervous for the Chiefs right now. No, we don't care. Most of us, we don't like the Chiefs too much. A lot of that has to do with your obsession with the Chiefs, by the way. But it was, I mean, it was borderline disgusting listening to that. It's like, well, that that kind of explains a lot of things. I guess I just didn't realize how unbelievably obsessed they were with the Chiefs. And now I just really, really want the Bills to beat them. Not only do I think it's a better matchup for us, not only do I like the Bills a lot more than I like the Chiefs, but I just want these media personalities that are for some reason, completely biased. And again, this used to be the Packers. So all those years that Bears fans and Vikings fans and Lions fans and everybody else that just got sick of it had to deal with the infatuation of the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, I get it, right? 
taste of our own medicine kind of thing. I, I understand. It was probably disgustingly annoying. I'm sorry. But we're not that team anymore. The media doesn't like us anymore. For some reason, they kind of hate us now. And uh, I don't like the Chiefs. It's not even the Chiefs. It's not Pat Mahomes' fault. He just happens to be a freak of a quarterback. Certainly not Andy Reid's fault. The guy is a, a magician. I mean, again, the way he's been able to innovate and just completely reinvent himself and, and stay ahead of the curve on offense. I mean, he's, an, he's a genius. Tyreek's a piece of garbage, but, you know, he's fast and stuff. Kudos for that. I thought the Chiefs' defense looked good. All that. I still want him to lose by 900, give or take. But I will say, I'm, I'm kind of glad the Chiefs won as much as I was rooting for the Browns all day because I don't want the Chiefs to lose because Pat Mahomes went out. As soon as he went out, I, it's like, I, this, is the, this is the worst possible scenario. Because now anybody that wins a Super Bowl, nobody's going to be taking it seriously. You're never, ever, ever going to get anybody in the media to admit that you're the rightful winner of the Super Bowl. Ever. They're going to say, well, you, you tell you what, uh, Packers won, no question about it. I'm just wondering what would have happened if Pat Mahomes was the quarterback instead of Josh Allen. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Uh, Chiefs are a different animal, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, Pat Mahomes, the, the Chiefs needed to win that game. As much as I hate that they won that game. And Pat Mahomes needs to play against Buffalo, and they need to lose rightfully. The Buffalo Bills need to straight up beat the Chiefs when the Chiefs are at their full strength. I mean, you know, if Breland or whoever it is that got hurt is hurt, who cares? Right, Miles Garrett was hurt too, whatever. I'm just saying Pat Mahomes can't. It doesn't... It, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, all those guys. If somebody gets hurt, fine. Injuries happen. Can't be Pat Mahomes, though. Can't be. He has to play. He has to lose. Otherwise, it, it's just nobody's going to say this. This whole season has been a waste. And yes, in case you're wondering, and I'm not saying this is the reason the Browns lost, the Chiefs won, all that, put me down in the column that says that that fumble out of bounds rule is stupid. It doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, if you fumble, you have to know you could lose it any day. No, 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 no. It's not about that. I, I hate that line of thinking, first of all. Well, if you fumble, then, then you have no right to complain. It's kind of similar to the overtime argument. Well, you, you shouldn't be in overtime anyways. No, 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 listen. The rule should just make sense, period. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, right? You fumbled, so you therefore, you know, you have no right to complain. Well, you should have won before overtime. No, I, I get that, but that's still not a really good reason to not just do the right thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, why don't we make a rule... Where if you overthrow a receiver in the end zone and it goes past the end zone, the other team gets the ball. Well, maybe you should have thrown a better pass, stupid. Do you get what I'm saying? That That's not how thinking works. That's not how anything works. You know, it's like, it's like you get pulled over and you've left your driver's license at home and the cop just drags you off and beats you and then you go to jail for life. Well, that seems excessive. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Did you break the law or did you not break the law? Because I feel like you broke the law. Maybe, maybe you don't break the law and then these things don't happen to you. That's stupid. Let's just try to think through this rationally. He dropped the ball and it went out of bounds. What happens when you drop the ball and it goes out of bounds? The ball goes out of bounds. That's it. That's, there's no penalty for that. Why should you be penalized to that degree? Obviously, you can't give them a touchdown, but that's the same exact proportional kind of, of result. It's as ridiculous as saying, well, you fumbled out of bounds... I mean, technically, that's what the rule is, right? If I fumble and the ball goes out of bounds, then that's just that's just our still our ball, and we get the ball there. So I, you know, went out of bounds in the end zone. So I guess it's a touchdown. How about 
where you fumble the ball is where you get the ball back. If you recover it in the end zone, it's a touchdown. If they recover it in the end zone, it's a touchback. If it goes out of bounds, then you get the ball back where you fumbled. No different than if it's at the 50-yard line, right? If the defense happens to get their hands on it, then it's yours and yay. But if you didn't, then you don't get the ball. I just, I don't understand the rationale behind that. And it's especially egregious when there's a horrific penalty of a guy getting ear-holed and they're like, well, that play's not reviewable, you see. But you see it though, right? So, so you're telling me that the Chiefs committed a horrendous penalty, the refs missed it, then they saw it on review, or review, but they're just going to pretend they can't see it because there's some rule that says you can't review that, even though we're currently reviewing it and we see the guy committing a penalty. And that penalty causes the other team to get the turnover because of another stupid rule. The NFL is just broken entirely at this point. Top to bottom, just stupid broken. Again, I'm not saying the Browns should have won as a result. The Chiefs clearly looked like the better team from what I saw. I think they did deserve to win. And I think if Pat Mahomes had never gone out, it would have never even been close. The Chiefs were in complete control basically the entire game from what I could see. And I don't think the Browns really looked bad. I just think the Chiefs looked better. It was more or less what I expected. The Chiefs looked good, but they also were just inconsistent, right? They looked real good, real good, real good, stupid play. Stupid call, stupid play, stupid drop, bad throw, just little stuff all the time. Honestly, when I, when I first started watching them, I thought, this team reminds me of like the 2019 Packers, which kind of makes sense because their head coach is a guy that runs the same kind of system as the Packers. And not surprisingly, the offensive system got a lot better. But they just need some refining, you know? Did such a great job of scheming guys open. It's really impressive to see the Browns um, just just look really competent. And I think they have the potential to be a very dangerous team, but they just got to get a little bit more disciplined, I think. But anyways, again, that needed to happen. As much as it killed me to say that, I, I kind of at the very end was rooting for the Chiefs because I just knew. I knew that the Browns would not have been seen as the legitimate winners. They just wouldn't, and they and they weren't, to be completely honest. If, if they would have won, if, if the Chiefs wouldn't have converted that fourth, fourth down or whatever, and the Chief, the Browns somehow came back, whatever, they would not have been seen as legitimate because they would have said, well, if, if, if Pat Mahomes was in. I mean, even during the, the game, Tony Romo sitting there, well, I'll tell you what, if, if Pat Mahomes was in, this is the play they call. I don't know what you do here. But you got to be honest, the whole Tony Romo thing has lost its allure. It was kind of cool back when he was, like, calling his shot and he was right all the time. Now he's just a really bad announcer. Like, he is not... How many years has he been doing this? He has not figured out how to do his job. He's so bad. I mean, can we just admit that? He is really, really bad at his job. And again, we kind of got over it because he's not, like, a media guy. He's a football guy. And it's like, yeah, I like that he's a football guy. But when was the last time you heard the guy, like, call a play out? I haven't heard it in a long time. Maybe I just haven't been watching games that he's been calling. But I haven't heard him, like, just... Watch out for play action. Well, there's the play action. I called that. <laughs> no, it's just it's just him interrupting and not knowing the the flow. And I mean, he's he's just so uh, he must be really awkward in like conversations because he just he has no way. He's so bad at like picking up on cues. Like, well, we're gonna bring in our uh, rules analyst here to, to, to see what he saw. And I'll tell you another thing. These guys, they just all right. It's like, dude, did you not just hear the guy next to you? say that you're bringing somebody else on. That means shut up and listen to the other... Not that I want to even hear him, but how are you that bad that you don't know that that's what you're supposed to be doing right now? It's just, it's kind of lost its allure for me. Like, I mean, if he goes back to being a wizard and just, you know, I don't know how to do my job, but I'm just going to tell you what's going on and call out play. But it's like he's trying to get away from that and be like an actual announcer. 
but he's bad at it. It's, I don't know. Go back to being a football guy or maybe just find something else to do because it's not interesting to me anymore. That was just my biggest take. The last two games I've heard of Romo, it just he just drove me nuts because he kept it like he and he would just talk to himself. Like he would just start talking at random times, like interrupting people. Like your mic is on, you know your mic is on. I, I don't know. It's just weird. But anyways, again, I do think um, this is a pretty rare situation where where this is the four best teams in the NFL, and it's gonna be it's gonna be some great football, man. Um, I, I'll be honest, I was watching that Saints game, and I, I still was rooting for the Saints because I think it's a better matchup, but I was kind of torn. I don't want to see Alvin Kamara. I definitely don't want to see that Saints special teams unit. I don't want that to be the thing that, that flips this game. Losing either the NFC Championship game or especially the Super Bowl because of special teams would be the most devastating thing in the world. When you have an offense and a defense playing this well, and it's your special teams that loses it, I, I wouldn't be able to handle that very well. So anyways, the goal obviously for today is to go through some of the pro football focus insights that they saw from the Packers playoff game. Um, Like I have been doing recently, I'm going to kind of try to stay away from some of the super negative things, but I might touch on a few of them. Um, More or less just looking for interesting insights, highlights, whatever. Don't want to sit here and complain about stuff. Um, But I, I thought it would be interesting to at least look at... The other winner from that day, we don't have any information from the Bucks or the Chiefs yet. We'll have that tomorrow. But since there's four teams left, it's worth looking at. And we might as well start off right from the top and uh, observe that they gave Josh Allen the lowest grade he's had all season. Now, I've been mentioning the reason Josh Allen doesn't deserve to be the MVP is because despite the fact that he is, and I saw this too, I think four of the top five highest graded quarterbacks are in the playoffs still. Deshaun Watson is the only one left. He's number three, but it's Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, and then I think maybe Pat Mo- Josh Allen, then Pat Mahomes, I think. I don't know. But it's the inconsistency from Josh Allen. He's either really good or extremely average. 60, 80, 80, 90, 70, 60, 60, 60, 80, 60, 60, 90, 60, 80, 80, 80, 80, and then this past game was a 59. And I'm, I'm rounding, and I was rounding down a lot of these because I don't want to say 90 when it's an 87, but it's a lot of 87s mixed in. It's either a 62 or an 87. He's very inconsistent. And again, this past game, they said it was his worst game of the season. Now, it's 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 iffy, right? There was a 60.6 in there, a couple low 60s. It's it's not a, a exactly perfect game, but clearly not his best. We'll see what Pat Mahomes got. I don't think he looked all that amazing. Again, I was kind of in and out. I was grilling yesterday, and I saw several missed passes by Pat Mahomes. Interestingly enough, and I know the Chiefs are scary for a lot of reasons, his last three games against Miami, they gave him a 68, against New Orleans, a 66, against Atlanta, a 51. Now, Pat Mahomes hasn't been all that inconsistent. He only had about three games less than a 70 all year. He had three of his last three. I mean, three prior to these three. So it was like a... 69, 80, 90, 40, 80, 60, 70, 90, 70, 80, 90, 90, and then three bad games in a row. So although we've got four elite quarterbacks, really what we have is the NFC has two quarterbacks that are just absolutely playing out of their minds right now. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are just playing elite, elite football. Mahomes and Allen are very iffy. So that'll be an interesting matchup. Um... And it could kind of decide the game because you, you think about how important Mahomes is to the Chiefs and how important Allen is to the Bills. If one of them shows up and one of them doesn't, that's it's game over. 
And again, I'm going to be very interested tomorrow to see what Pat Mahomes' grade was because he has not had a good game since week 13 against Denver, according to PFF. Now, I'm sure the stats, you know, if I were to say that to a Chiefs fan, they'd lose their money. New Orleans, are you kidding me? 254 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. What are you talking about? Well, 5.4 yards per attempt is not great. He also obviously fumbled in this game because his fumble grade was a 25. So yeah, overall didn't turn out all that great. Last time he threw for 300 yards was against Miami. It was almost 400, 393, but he had two touchdowns, three interceptions. He also had, as I said with the fumbles, he had a fumble against Miami. He had two fumbles against New Orleans. So he did have two turnovers. I guess I don't know who turned, who got the ball, but I'm just saying it's it's not the same. You look at him and say these are the four best quarterbacks. That's true. But again, Tom Brady has been playing out of his mind. Aaron Rodgers has been playing out of his mind, although not quite on the level of Tom Brady the last several weeks, but good. Mahomes and uh, Allen, yeah. But the one guy that did stand out for the Buffalo Bills was Stephon Diggs, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Stephon Diggs has been absolutely on a tear. He's, he was kind of inconsistent early on. Uh, basically, since week eight, he's been locked down. He had one bad game against uh, the Chargers week 12. Since then, it's just been nonstop. I mean, it's been all go. I would be stunned if there's a better wide receiver than Stephon Diggs since week 13. Let's, let's look, because maybe it's Devontae, but I would doubt it, because these grades are ridiculous. Braxton Berrios, apparently, for the Jets. Then Stephon Diggs. Devontae is seventh since week 13. So there are three top ten wide receivers still in the NFL in this little time stretch here. Antonio Brown is one step ahead of Devontae Adams. And again, Stephon Diggs is number two. But outside of that, the offense was more or less underwhelming. And, I, and I'll be honest, I think I, I just feel like the NFC teams are more scary. And I know the Chiefs are just a good football team, and I know the Bills are talented and all that, but you just look at the the deficiencies. I'm really not scared of the Buffalo defense. I'm just not. I mean, the media loves the Buffalo defense, and they hype up a lot of guys. And, and you know, I, I just, I don't know, man. I just think they're very beatable. I mean, you, you, you think about Tredavious White, right? That's a real big name. If, if we ended up playing the Bills in the Super Bowl, Tredavious White is a name that would pop up big time. Tredavious White, since week 13, just, again, completely random, but it just so happens to be, has had basically one good game. Since week 13, one good game. That was against Denver. He's had three really bad games the last three weeks he's played. Josh Norman has been meh. And, and again, they've got one good pass rusher in Jerry Hughes, and he kind of reminds me of that guy in Tampa that gets a ton of pressures, but that's about it. 62 pressures on 429 attempts is pretty impressive. He's like 32 years old. He's not like that. He's exactly 32 years old. But only seven sacks. He's a terrible run defender, garbage tackler. The other antique is Mario Addison, 33-year-old pass rush. About 10% pressure rate, also seven sacks. Another terrible run defender. Linebackers are not very good. It just, I, I just, you know, well, what about Micah Hyde? He's a freak. He was the second lowest graded guy on this team next to Ed Oliver, who is like the worst defensive tackle in football. Which, by the way, I'm still looking for all those Ed Oliver sycophants. I never really understood that. Was not a big Ed Oliver fan, but man, did Packer fans want Ed Oliver real bad. We need to trade up. We got to get a. He is not. I don't think he's had a good game since he's been a professional. Legitimately one of the worst defensive tackles in all of football. I mean, I get that he's fast, but the guy just always got blown off the ball. I don't know why Packer fans are so obsessed. But Micah Hyde on the season has a 69 overall grade. Not quite good. He hasn't had a really good game since, go figure, week 13. I don't know what happened. The Buffalo Bills must have just been playing out of their mind week 13 against the San Francisco 49ers. They had one good game in the wild card, 73 grade. Also Pittsburgh, but I mean, like real good, 86. Otherwise, Denver, 63. New England had a 34. Miami, 61. This past week against Baltimore, a 52. 
So again, I, the only reason I'm bringing this stuff up is because we hear the names, and we do the same thing the media does. We get all hyped up. You know what the media is going to say about Micah Hyde. You know what Packer fans think about Micah Hyde. You know what everyone's going to say about Tredavious White. But it's not like every week, lockdown, elite, shutdown, dominant. No, just kind of, Mike has been kind of all season. Tredavious, still pretty good, but, you know, very, eek. he's no Jalen Ramsey. He's certainly no Jair. It's a beatable team, dude. Very beatable. But again, Tampa is the team I was much more afraid of. Tom Brady is playing just stupid football. By far the best quarterback in football over the last four, five, six weeks. By far. I know Packer fans don't want to hear it, but but let's just be honest about stuff. Let, I'm going to be honest. If I think the, the Rams are a joke and we're going to steamroll them, I'm going to tell you that. If I think the Bucks are for real and Tom Brady is, is something to be feared, he's not just this old, washed-up, garbage quarterback, I'm, I'm just going to tell you what it is. I don't want you coming into this thinking, ha-ha, Tom Brady's old and he's not good anymore and he's been playing bad this year. No, he hasn't. No, he really has not. Now, I, again, I don't know what happened yesterday or how that's going to pan out grade-wise, but I don't think he looked bad. Breeze did. Brady didn't. So, I mean, it, it's it's legit, man. We know they're hard to run against, which is problematic. It's one of the biggest reasons I wanted to play the Saints and not the Bucks because the, the Packers team, they're night and day when they can run and when they can't. You know that this entire offensive system revolves around being able to run the ball. Not that that's the most important thing, but if they're just going to have four guys up front and we can't run the ball, how do you beat that? Now, I, I, I don't know that that's going to be the case. We'll have to see how it goes. I think the Packers have done a great job being able to run the ball. And I saw J.J. kind of lay it out. Um, it's worth more investigation, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Rather than trying to get around the outside against blazing fast linebackers, just smash them right up right up the middle. Now, they're, they're not bad up the middle. And Dominican Sue is playing some great football. The linebackers aren't completely trash up the middle either. But that is definitely the bigger weakness. And when we've got some road graders, Elton Jenkins is playing great football, Corey Lindsley's playing some great football, and then you got smash-mouth guys like Jamal and, and A.J. Dillon, and even Aaron Jones does a great job on the inside just finding those little creases. That's probably going to be our best bet, but that's going to be important. I mean, that, that could be the whole game. If we can't get the run game going and they're able to just drop back and play coverage because, you know, they don't need any extra help up front, we're in a lot of trouble. And really, I think I think that battle is everything. Um I mean, I, 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 there's no question it was kind of fluky, right? The, the Packers did not show up to play. The biggest problem, and I've, I've mentioned Aaron Rodgers, not the greatest quarterback under pressure. In fact, he's been kind of not great at all under pressure. 27 times in that game he was pressured, six sacks, eight hits, and 13 hurries in that game. That's kind of crazy. Jason Pierre-Paul had seven pressures against the Packers. He has not had, well, no, he did have eight against Kansas City. Second best game all year. Just to give you an idea of how ridiculous that is, his pressures in order up to that game, two, three, three, one, two, seven, and then two again. So, I mean, I, I, again, in this game, the, the, the Buccaneers defensive front, which is not a bad defensive front, but the Packers made them look like elite, 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 and I don't know that they're that good, especially as pass rushers. Let me put it to you this way. Jason Pierre-Paul got to Aaron Rodgers 20% of the time. His average on the season is 8%. Jason Pierre-Paul is not good at football anymore. He's been bad against the run. He's a terrible tackler, and he's at 8% on the season. He was at 20% against the Packers. So if the Packers show up and play competent football, like they've done pretty much all year with the exception of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, that changes everything, 
I mean, they actually did a very good job against Shaquille Barrett. He's he's their main pass rusher. I don't know what they did to scheme Jason Pierre-Paul. Looks like Billy Turner was the sieve in that game. Billy Turner was the right tackle up against Jason Pierre-Paul. Gave up six pressures. And um, as we know, Billy Turner has gotten better. I, I, I don't want to say Billy Turner's the entire reason we lost that game. But, I mean, that's that was a bad day for him. That was one of only two games in which he gave up a sack. Um, the second worst game he's had all season is three pressures given up. He gave up three against Chicago, three against Indy. He gave up six against Tampa Bay. He just got worked by Jason Pierre-Paul. Again, I don't know why. I don't know what happened, but it, it's, it's a common theme with the Green Bay Packers. When the Packers have those kinds of games, right, against San Francisco, against the Chargers, I, I know those guys have good pass rushers, and I'm not talking about Tampa. I'm talking about the Bosa's. But, I mean, it was it was really bad. I mean, even when David Bakhtiari is getting just annihilated, it's like the offensive line just has bad days and the Packers implode. So, again, this completely changes the dynamic if Aaron Rodgers is able to sit in the pocket and play good offense without guys like Jason Pierre-Paul beating Billy Turner for some random reason. A bad pass rusher against a tackle that hasn't really given up much all year, and it's just, he just... He just dominated. I, I, I have no idea. But again, and, and there's more to this game than just that one matchup, but that's just an example of you shouldn't expect, you know, 35 to 10 or whatever the stupid score was. That's not to say they won't get pressures. They do a good job of scheming it. But again, that was a historically bad day for the Packers and a historically good day for Tampa. It's not like Tampa's doing this every week because they're just so good at scheming and they do all this stuff and you can't stop them. No, everybody else stops them just fine, and the Packers are very good at, at stopping pass rush. They had a terrible day that week. I, I, you know, whatever. I don't know. Ask Coach Hahn to go back and look at Billy Turner and, and explain. He loves Billy Turner. He'll, he'll figure it out. Also, if we look at Aaron Rodgers, and again, a lot of this probably has to do with him being under pressure, and obviously he's not going to grade out as well when he's under pressure as a higher percentage. But if we just look at Aaron Rodgers, and again, this is me just trying to tell you that, again, good opponent... But this is not the same game. Aaron Rodgers this season has had four games where he's graded out in the 90s. Six games where he's graded out in the 80s. Four games he's graded out in the 70s. Two games where he's been in the 60s. Average, Carolina and Indy. One game he was in the 40s. Which game you suppose that was? That was Tampa Bay. So Aaron Rodgers by far his worst game of the season. Not even close. He has not been below average once except in that game, and it wasn't like a 59. It was a 44. I mean, that was the second worst game he's had since like 2016. It's a really bad day for Aaron Rodgers. In the midst of an MVP season, this was his second worst game. The only game in recent times that he's played worse was against San Francisco the first time last year, I mean. So, I mean, it's just, it's not the same team. I don't know what it is about the Packers coming out of a bye during the regular season, but they came out flat. The offensive line was not ready. Billy Turner was just just not playing football. Aaron Rodgers was playing terribly, largely because he was under... I mean, he was. we saw him hearing footsteps halfway through the first quarter, and you knew that we were in trouble. He was playing panicked. I don't remember everything about that game, but I specifically remember him looking spooked like as soon as the game started and thinking, I don't think there's any chance we win this game. When Aaron Rodgers is playing like that, we're in a lot of trouble. So again, we'll see what Tampa grades out as and all that stuff, but this is not, it's not the same teams. It's not the same game. Tampa's very good. The Packers are very good. We'll see what happens. But I know the media loves looking at ancient history. Maybe this last game we played 
isn't quite far back enough, so maybe they'll just skip that and find a game back in, like, you know, the Warren Sapp days. Be like, remember when Warren Sapp messed up Brett Favre? Tampa by 15. You know, I, I don't know. They're kind of stupid like that. But, I mean, just so we're all clear, everybody's going to favor Tampa in this game. I mean, right now the Packers are three-and-a-half-point favorites to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and go to the Super Bowl. Vegas is saying Packers are going to win. Not as definitive as they said it against the Rams, but they're still looking at it going, yeah, Packers are going to win this game. Nobody's going to be saying. I mean, just like they said about the Rams and how, oh, this is going to be a tough matchup for the Packers, and now that defense, just brace yourself for that. So I'm excited, man. It'll be interesting. Again, I don't know that we get a huge cold weather advantage against Tom Brady. I mean, the it does take a while for your body to get acclimated, as I've said. Um, I mean, it, I live in Wisconsin. You have to get reacclimated every year. It's not like November hits and there's that first cold blast and we just walk outside, you know, in our underwear like, yeah, this is nothing. No, I mean, it, it drops to like 50 and we're like, oh, it's freezing out here. We're, we're, we're basically Floridians coming out of summer. Dude, it's 50. It sucks outside. But then by January, it's 20, and we're like, dude, kind of nice out here, you know? You have to get acclimated to it. That's why it's like when, you know, in fall, 50 degrees is freezing. In spring, you're like sweating in 50 degrees. So, yeah, Tom Brady played in New England for a long time. I'm sure he, you know, as far as, like, how to play in the cold, he's he's well-versed at that. He understands that. But in terms of being cold, it's going to suck. He, he's, he lives in Florida now. So, I, you know, I don't want to overplay the advantage but i also don't want to underplay it and act like well he's fine he's he's used to it he's played in cold before it's like yeah but it's different he doesn't live in cold right now he lives in florida right now in case you're curious i'm looking at from 2010 through 2019 new england patriots so we're talking about you know tom brady patriots and i picked 2010 because it's more recent history eight and one when it's 25 degrees or less so again we lose that advantage i think that would have been a massive advantage against uh against Breeze, but, you know, whatever, he'll be cold. Anyways, let's uh, let's take a break, and we'll come back and look at what PFF had to say about the Green Bay Packers. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones, and to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So offensively, just looking at the offensive grades as a whole before we kind of get more specific, I'm going to say that there were 9 out of 25 that graded out very, very well. Again, some of these are probably going to upset people, but we can get into specifics if you're curious. But those 9 were... Uh, in order from lowest to highest, Robert Tunyon, MVS, Alan Lazard, Rick Wagner at right tackle, Billy Turner at left tackle was fifth, Aaron Rodgers was the fourth highest graded player, Lucas Patrick, big massive shout out, he was supposed to be the weak link, and I'm sure without having uh, Aaron Donald lined up right over his face really helped, but regardless, the fact that Lucas Patrick manned up against anybody and was the third highest graded player is amazing. In fact, let me look at it really quick while we're sitting here. This was his best game of the entire season. His game against Houston Week 7 was close, but that's it. I mean, it, there's there's two games he's played where he's been in the 80s, uh, 81.1 against Houston, 82.2 against L.A. Primarily as a run blocker, which I'll take that. I mean, it was it was a good game as a pass blocker, but the fact that he came out there and was just killing people in the run game, we need that next week. So that's fantastic. Please keep that going. Uh, the second highest graded player was Devontae Adams, and the number one player was actually Jamal Williams. Um, there's always weird grades between the running backs because they're all kind of successful, but PFF sees things differently, and it kind of depends, right? I mean, it, the offensive line gives you stuff, and then it kind of ma- depends what the running back does with what they've been given. Sometimes the running back goes through the wrong hole, or they, they're not seeing things properly or whatever. But a- again, according to what they saw, there was a massive division between the running backs. Jamal was the highest-graded player on the team. Aaron Jones was right in the middle, graded out as average. Biggest reason, he graded out fine as a runner, solid as a pass blocker. They gave him a 40 passing grade or, or receiving grade. A.J. Dillon was the lowest-graded player on the entire team. Now, he did have a fumble in that game, which probably weighed pretty heavily on it. But overall, 43 overall grade, they were not even a little bit impressed with A.J. Dillon. But I suppose the good news is there were only three guys that were below a 60. Most of these players, um, there's a lot of guys with like one snap. Actually, you know you know why? Because the special teams play became an offensive play. So, for example, one of the players, one of only three that were below a 60, was J.K. Scott. <laughs> because of his passing ability, they gave him a 59 overall grade. Then you got uh, Yash Nijman, Hunter Bradley, Tavon Austin, uh Dean Lowry, a lot of these guys were given offensive grades because they were on the special teams unit when that happened. And they all get 60s because they had no real play in that game and and that play. But um, the other guy that was below a 60 was Mercedes Lewis. Uh, They gave him a very, very good pass blocking grade, but as a receiver, they gave him a 45 as a run blocker of 52. Everybody else, average or better. Looking specifically at the offensive line, um, pretty solid. No sacks given up. Only one hit allowed that was given up by Billy Turner. There were eight hurries on the day, kind of evenly distributed. Two of them were credited to Elton Jenkins. Two were credited to Lucas Patrick. Two to Corey Lindsley. Two of them uh, were credited to Aaron Rodgers holding out of the ball for a long time. And then two penalties given up, one by Tanyan and and one by Rick Wagner. But uh, looking at the grades, pass blocking grades, 
Um, there were nine guys with 70 or over, again, starting at the lowest and working our way up. Dominique Daphne with a 70, A.J. Dillon, Lucas Patrick, Jamal Williams, all 73, Mercedes Lewis a 74, Rick Wagner, 79, Aaron Jones, 79, Robert Tunyon, 80, and then Billy Turner, an 86. So again, when I say that Billy Turner is definitely getting better as the season goes on, the same guy that gave up seven pressures, well, six, I guess, I don't know who... JPP got his other pressure against, but gave up six pressures to Jason Pierre-Paul, who is a bad pass rusher, is now arguably our best pass-blocking offensive lineman. I mean, you know, we still got uh, we still got Corey Lindsley, who had a pretty bad day, but obviously, you know, cut him a little bit of slack on this glorious day. Everybody along that interior gets gets a little bit of a of, of slack. Run blocking grades not quite as high. Uh, Lucas Patrick, I mentioned, very, very high. The other two that were in the 70s was Dominique Daphne and Rick Wagner. Rick Wagner, I saw somebody else uh, tweet it out. I don't remember who or I'd give them credit, but uh, probably our most underrated, underappreciated player on this entire team. Rick Wagner has been a stud all year long and gets no credit. We don't even talk about Rick Wagner. He's been playing tackle all year long. 662 snaps at right tackle. He has the highest grade he's had since 2014 with the Baltimore Raven. It's the second highest pass blocking grade he's had ever. It's the third highest run blocking grade he's ever had. It's the it's the highest run blocking grade he's had since 2014 with Baltimore. He's never been this good with Detroit. He's playing unbelievable football right now. And he had another great day against LA who, again, they don't have the greatest pass rushers off the edge, but neither does Tampa. They got one guy that's pretty good, and um, Bakhtiari kind of erased him. Bakhtiari isn't there anymore, but again, they're, they're doing a good job against pass rushers. Um, Aaron Rodgers actually gave him a pretty solid grade while under pressure in this game, which is good to see. Uh, with no pressure, he was 21 of 28, 242 yards, 8.6 yard average, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, he did have two drops, so that brings it up to 23 of 28 or 21 of 26, however you want to do that. Converted 13 first downs, adjusted completion percentage of 82.1. Um, while not under pressure, or excuse me, while under pressure, he was only 2 of 8 for 54 yards, but he had three throwaways and a drop. So depending on if the throwaways are his fault or not, PFF clearly doesn't seem to think so because, again, he graded out just fine. So apparently the receivers just weren't getting open. So you take the three throwaways and the drop away. And he's basically 2 of 4 for 54 yards. Or it looks like they said 6 of 8. Whatever. Closer look at the running backs. And again, A.J. Dillon's biggest issue, especially when you don't get a lot of carries. When you don't get a lot of carries and one of those carries is a fumble, that sucked. And the fact that they gave him a 17 overall fumble grade, because again, you fumbled on 1 in 6 attempts, that's going to massively skew things. But 6 attempts, 27 yards, 4.5 average is solid. He did get one first down, 14 yards after contact, 2.33 average, 9 yards was his longest run, zero avoided tackles. So as far as what we've seen from A.J. Dillon in general, he didn't really bring any of that. You know, running through people, running around people, no avoided tackles, that's what he does. The And again, give him more carries, he's going to get that. That's what I've been saying about all these guys. If you give any one of these guys enough carries, they're going to look real good. Again, Aaron Jones at halftime was doing nothing. Second half, he blew up. So, yeah, give A.J. Dillon 14 carries, he's going to do a lot better. But he had six, it wasn't his best outing, he didn't grade out very well. Aaron Jones, 14 carries, 99 yards, 7.1 yard average. He converted four first downs, had one run of more than 10 yards. Obviously, that was his 60-yard scamper. 69 yards after contact, 4.93 yards after contact on average. Had six avoided tackles in this game. I think probably three of them were on that run. 
Again, he did have a pretty solid run grade, but just all the other stuff, the blocking and the receiving, they didn't really care for what he did. And then Jamal Williams, the highest graded guy. Again, 12 of 65, 5.4 yard average, six first down on 12 attempts. So half of his carries, he converted first downs. Uh, one carry of more than 10 yards, he had an 11 yard run. 3.67 yards after contact on average, and he had one avoided tackle in the game. Receivers, we already went over the generic stat, but in terms of moving the sticks, uh, Alan Lazard converted four first downs, Devontae four, Marquez three, Tunyon two, EQ one, Aaron Jones one. And, and that's that's an important thing because converting those third downs, converting, you know, or second downs or fourth downs or whatever they happen to be, so unbelievably critically important, especially against defenses like LA, right? They don't usually give up a lot of big plays. So you have to be able to be consistent moving the stick. Right, it's 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 the same thing that the Packers defense does. That eventually you're not gonna be able to convert. Eventually you're gonna get that bad pass, whatever, and just having so many different guys that you can rely on to move the sticks is so unbelievably important. Uh, there were three drops in the game, one by Lazard, one by EQ, and one by Aaron Jones. Big part of the reason those guys didn't have higher grades, especially Aaron Jones. However, those exact three guys are the three guys that had avoided tackles. Alan Lazard, Equinemius, and Aaron Jones all had avoided tackles. Passer rating when targeted, Alan Lazard had the highest passer rating, 141.4. Devontae, 127.5. Tunyon, 118.8. EQ, 95.8. Aaron Jones, 72.9. And MVS, 60.9. Flipping over to the defensive side, obviously the grades were not nearly as good. Only four guys had 70 or above. Only one was in the 80. A little bit of rough sledding. Um, I know a lot of people were frustrated about Snacks Harrison not being on the field very much. He had three snaps and was the lowest graded player on the entire team. So whatever PFF saw, the Packers clearly saw, this was not a very good game for him. Now, with that said, we're not getting a lot of production from anybody else. The highest graded defensive tackle was Kenny Clark. Obviously, he was doing some good stuff as a pass rusher, but only a 68 overall grade. His run defense was not superb. Um, and even the pass rush, we're talking three pressures on 30 attempts. That's only 10%. So he had two sacks, which, you know, I'm looking at that saying, dude, he had a great day. And I think even on the uh, the stream I did with Brady that I do every uh, after the game, I said Kenny Clark was was. I gave him the game ball on defense because I just felt like he was the most disruptive. I saw the, the the sacks, and he had, you know, two sacks, same with Rashawn, right? Those guys were, were killing it. Well, it turns out he only had three total pressures on 30 attempts, so it wasn't that spectacular. But anyways, the other guys that graded out quite well, I guess we can call Kenny. 68 is basically a 70. We'll round him up. But uh, Jair, Preston Smith, Chandon Sullivan, and Rashawn Gary. Excited to see a lot of these guys. Obviously, we know Jair did really well. I mean, he didn't have to do very much all game. They never threw at him. It's probably hard to get, I mean, two targets, one reception for negative three yards. I mean, you can't get any pass breakups or interceptions if they literally don't throw at you once. I mean, that one time they threw at him, I mean, come on. You make the guy stay behind the line of scrimmage when he's 10 yards off, and that's how you complete one reception in his direction. But uh, Preston graded out quite well. His his pass rush stats were not all that superb, but it was still 10%, two pressures on 20 attempts, um, and he did a fairly decent job against the run. Chandon Sullivan, again, you love to see that. Did give up uh, four receptions on four targets for 27 yards, but that's all he gave up. He also had seven tackles, one assisted tackle, and two stops in the game. As far as run defense, Chandon Sullivan was the one guy that had a good grade, which isn't great because that's not what you're looking for. Kevin King was the next highest, then Preston, then Billy Price, who played two snaps all game, so that doesn't even count, then Tyler Lancaster, but we're already down in the mid-60s. So the bottom line is nobody really did a good job. Christian Kirksey graded in the 20s. Snacks was in the 40s, Zadarius was in the 40s, Darnell was in the 40s, Dean was in the 40s, Rashawn low 50s. I mean, the whole defense against the run just kind of got work, and that needs to get cleaned up. I know LA has some really good 
you know, run blocking offensive line. They've got a really talented running back and all that, but it's got to be better. Tackling is really good, which is great because I've, I've been saying for a while a good defense is a good tackling defense. All right, I've never seen once a top tier defense in which the guys can't tackle. Right, you got to bring them down, and the Packers really struggled with that last year. At the start of the year, they struggled with it. This year, Zadarius and Darnell had terrible tackling grades. Other than that, pretty much everybody had a good tackling grade. Lancaster and Price were high 60s. Otherwise, Lowry, Clark, uh, Alexander, I mean, Jair, Preston, Rashawn, they were all low 70s. Christian Kirksey, Adrian Amos, high 70s, and then Kevin King, Shannon Sullivan, and Chris Barnes all in the 80s. So the tackling has been getting much better, and that's a critically important thing. Um, but then the most exciting part about all this is the pressures. We had, uh, let's see, five different players that got pressure on the day. That's everybody that really tried. The only guy that had a halfway significant amount that didn't get any was Tyler Lancaster. But you don't really expect Tyler Lancaster to get a lot, and he only had eight attempts at getting at the quarterback. Otherwise, uh, Dean Lowry got one pressure on 23 attempts. Obviously not very good. He, he's Listen, I really believe defensive tackle might be the biggest thing that they're looking for. I know we say we, we don't need wide receiver, but just the fact that they've been so desperate at going out and finding another defensive tackle to bring in and help the team win a, a Super Bowl. Also, the fact that they're so heavily invested in going after Will Fuller kind of leads me to believe that they really want those two things. And just the complete lack of production we've been getting from, from defensive tackles all year has been really, really bad. So, I mean, I just, I feel like, I mean, they're going to take best player available. It's what they do. They're not going to reach. But if there's a good defensive tackle available, they're, they're going all in for him. Um, Preston, I mentioned, had two on 20, so that's exactly uh, 10%. Basically, bottom of the barrel, best you can expect, um, or least you would expect from a guy. Didn't have any sacks, but had one hit, one hurry. Kenny Clark, three of 30, so exactly 10% for him as well. Again, he had two sacks, so you give him a little bit more credit. I mean, if it's two hurries, who cares? But at least, at least get the guy down if you're going to be barely average. But then it gets super exciting. Rashawn Gary on 29 attempts. None of these guys had very many attempts. The, the Rams, usually these numbers are a lot higher. Zedarius, 29 attempts has to be one of his lowest all year. But he had seven pressures on 29 attempts. That's 24% of the times. One in four times he was able to get to the quarterback. He had one sack, zero hits, and six hurries. To be that disruptive is fantastic. And by the way, that's one of the things that gets me the most excited about this upcoming game. Whether it was... was Breeze or Brady, at least in this category, I think I'd rather have Brady because Breeze, again, he likes to get the ball out of his hand really quickly. It's a big part of his resurgence later in his career. Tom Brady likes to sit in the pocket. We see that every single week. It's one of the most frustrating things ever, even going back into New England, how he sits in that comfortable pocket and just distributes the ball. There needs to be pressure, and I really feel like at this point in time, especially with Rashawn and Zadarius, and then occasionally you get Kenny and you get pressed. I mean, this group as a whole, just feels like anytime the quarterback doesn't get the ball out instantly, there's pressure. There's just constant, never-ending pressure from this group recently. But again, we face the Rams, who it's just immediately get the ball out of your hands. And then you face the, the, the Bears before that, immediately get the ball out of your hands. They haven't really had an opportunity to shine, and still Zadarius got there a quarter of the time. But it gets better. Rashawn Gary, who is the highest-graded defensive player, who I want to take a minute to talk about, but let's just get to his stats right away. He also just had two... So if you're just looking at at sack, which is what a lot of people are just looking at, sacks and tackles, because it's all that's available. Kenny had two, Zadarius had one, Rashawn had two, so those three guys did a really good job. No, they're not created equal. Kenny was mediocre, Zadarius was incredible. Rashawn Gary also had seven pressures, but he, had, he did it in 22 attempts. That's basically one in three. 
once every three times the ball was snapped. And again, remember, how many times did that ball get out of his hand instantly? What would have happened if he held onto the ball for like 2.5 seconds every snap? What would have Rashawn got there 50% of the time? It's absurd to be able to get there that many times against a team that's just getting the ball out of their hands instantly. He had two sacks, one hit, and four hurry. Now, I talked about Rashawn, and I mentioned the Packers have gone out and gotten a bunch of freaks, and the exciting thing is what happens when they turn the corner, if they ever do. Some guys just don't. We saw Darnell Savage, and yeah, he had a, a, a down game, whatever. It happens. He's, he's been kind of inconsistent, but the point is he was consistently not great the entire season. I mean, the, the entire first half of the season. His grades through Week 9, 38, 55, 66, 58, 64, 40, and 58. Even Jacksonville was a 67. He didn't get his first good grade until week 11 against Indy. But the point is, he had a good day, and it's like, hey, Darnell Savage had a good day. Then he had a 96.3, and it's like, all right, hold on. couple things here, Darnell. Number one, two good games in a row when you haven't had a good game all year. What's up with that? Second of all, 96.3? There are certain people on this planet that just don't have that ability, period. That's impressive. Now, the, the next week against Philly, he graded out poorly. And it's like, oh, man, I hope he didn't just completely fall off. And then great game against Detroit, great game against Carolina, and then a 90 against Tennessee. And it's like, all right, I feel like Darnell's kind of figured something out here. Now it's dipped off the last two weeks. In fact, against Chicago, they said he had six targets, six receptions for 76 yards, no interceptions, no pass breakups. So his stretch of having like as many pass breakups and interceptions as, as even reception, that's completely out the window at this point. But the point is, I don't expect him to be great every single week. I just want that that light bulb to go off, and he figured it out, and he did. He's going to have bad days. Everybody has bad days. Rashawn is going to have bad days. Zadarius, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae, Elton Jenkins, Billy Turner, they're all going to have bad days. The point is, have they turned a corner to where they've got it figured out, right? Billy Turner, the reason I've, I believe in him now is because despite the fact I'm sure he's going to have bad days in the future, he, something clicked. He's a good run defense. He's not elite. He's good. He just is. I mean, he keeps Aaron Rodgers clean, and he does a good job in the run game. That's all I want from him. I want him to not be a sieve, and he's not anymore. So we turn the page now to Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary was basically terrible through Week 9. Now, he had some good stats occasionally. Four pressure. I mean, the first two weeks, three pressures on 22 attempts, four pressures on 23 attempts. That's solid. But in terms of his grades uh, through Week 9, 64, 56, 55, 43, 65, 34, 55 terrible. Then he had two good games back-to-back, 79 and an 80, but then he fell off immediately, 45, 58, 57, 49. And again, the stats are there as far as pressures. He had seven, again. well, those were graded out well, but even Philadelphia had a bad grade. He had five pressures on 26 attempts, three pressures against Carolina and 25 attempts, but the run defense was so bad, so bad. So then he has a 90 overall grade in week 16. I don't think he's ever had a 90 overall grade. So that's sort of that Darnell Savage 96, like, what? Flukes happen, but 90? Like, elite? Kind of weird. The very next week against Chicago, 90.1. Two elite games in a row. Remember what I said about Tom Brady. Tom Brady had, and we'll see what his grade is this past week, but before this week, three elite grades in a row. He has not had that since, like, 2007 or something stupid. It's a big deal to do that well that many times. Two elite games in a row from a guy that just hasn't been a very good football player is impressive. The biggest question, though, is, okay, he had two good games in the past. Is he going to completely fall off, or is he going to kind of get this figured out? He was the highest-graded player on our entire defense. Now, he went from a 90 to a 90 to an 81, but that's still really good. That 81 is his third highest game 
of the entire season outside of the last two weeks. His three highest graded games have been week 16, 17, and that this last week in the divisional round. Now, the only game in which he was really good as a pass rusher and a run defender was week 16 against Tennessee. Against uh, Chicago, he didn't do very good as a pass rusher, but he was very good against the run. And again, Trubisky got the ball out of his hand all the time, so you can't do very much, but he only had one pressure on 17 attempts. But he had an elite run defense grade. This past week, Obviously a very good pass rush grade with seven pressures on 22 attempts, but they didn't like him as a run defender very much. So again, it's it's a little bit back and forth, but he has consistently been dominant the last three weeks. To put it in perspective, um, if we start at week 16, so we go 16-17 wild card and divisional round, he's the second highest graded defensive edge rusher next to Cam Jordan with the New Orleans Saints who just got kicked out of the playoffs. The next highest graded guy that's still in the playoffs... Sheesh. Um, Shaquille Barrett, 14th best. If you look at pressures in that time period, and again, it, it depends because obviously some teams didn't make it into the playoffs. Some teams played a wild card while others didn't. Uh, Leonard Floyd is the only guy with more pressures. And again, he played an additional game more than Rashawn Gary did. Otherwise, Chase Young and Rashawn Gary are tied. How about that for a stat? And they played the same amount because Chase Young played in the wild card, Rashawn Gary played in the divisional round. The biggest difference, though, despite the fact that they both had 14 pressures, Chase Young had 14 pressures on 111 attempts. Rashawn Gary had 14 pressures on 52 attempts. <laughs> over three games, over a three-game period, and again, one of those happens to be against Chicago with only one pressure. Still, even with that included, he's at 27%. That's stupid. Nobody, and, and again, I don't expect him to be able to maintain this, nobody ever in the history of the universe, has had 27% over the course of a season. However, Rashawn Gary right now on the season, 14.3% pressure rate is incredible. I mean, that's 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 top tier, man. I mean, Zadarius had a once-in-a-career year. I mean, guys like Khalil Mack have, have, have had years as good as Zadarius last year once ever. He was at 17. Rashawn right now is at 14. Last year, Rashawn Gary's average was a 10.5, barely above average. This year, he's, he's one of the... T- I, I, I got the day off. Let's take a little bit of time and find out where he ranks. All right, so it's not including the postseason, so some of this is going to be a little bit off, but I'm just going to take Rashawn Gary's total for the season and put it in the regular season numbers. Um, if we were to do that, he would rank eighth in the NFL, eighth best pressure rate of anybody. Romeo Okwara in Detroit had a 14.39% pressure rate, which is pretty staggering. Jerry Hughes in Buffalo, who I mentioned, gets a ton of pressures. Carl Lawson in Cincinnati. Marcus Golden in Arizona. T.J. Watt in Pittsburgh. Shaquille Barrett in Tampa. And Joey Bosa for the Chargers. Joey is the only one who's having a dominant uh, season at 17.43%. Again, that's basically what Zadarius had. It's a once-in-a-career kind of stat. I don't know if Joey's done that before or not, but the next highest is Shaquille Barrett at 15.65. Again, Zadarius at 14.3, not very far behind. Just to give you an idea of how easily he can move this needle, if he just, I say just replicates, if he does what he did again, which he's done two out of the last three weeks in terms of pressures, um, in other words, 22 attempts, seven pressures, he moves up to a 15.4%. It's not over yet. So again, Rashawn Gary is, um, I think he's still got a ways to go. He's obviously extremely inconsistent. But again, I asked the question, did he turn a corner? Two weeks in a row is a big deal. I think weeks 10 and 11 were the only times he's had back-to-back good games in his career so far in his two-year career. He just had three good games in a row. And man, do we need him. And Zadarius, I forget the grades, I couldn't care less, seven pressures. If they're getting 14 pressures between the two of them, 
That's amazing. And by the way, I, I can actually see the stat. If you look at the divisional playoffs in terms of how long everybody was holding onto the ball, Lamar Jackson held onto the ball 3.04 seconds, which is bad. Josh Allen, 2.85 seconds on average. Again, 2.5 is sort of that, you know, time to get rid of the ball. Above that is you're kind of hanging on to it for a while. Tyler Huntley for Baltimore, 2.75 seconds. Aaron Rodgers held onto the ball for 2.68 seconds, which is incredible. Held onto the ball for quite a while. Still had no no sacks. Jared Goff got the ball out of his hand in 2.3 seconds on average. He had 14 dropbacks in which he had the ball out of his hand in more than 2.5 seconds. Only 14. He was sacked three of those times. So 21% of the time, when he holds onto the ball, so let's call it one in five time, one in five attempts, when he holds onto the ball for just 2.5 seconds, he's going down. That's sacks. That's not even pressures. That's unbelievable. I mentioned that having fans in the in the stands would would motivate this defense. I I can't even quantify how ridiculous that is. There was one of the one of the four times he was sacked was when would happened in less than 2.5. That was the Zadarius sack. I think he got there in like 2.3 seconds, which is his average time to throw. So we'll see what happens. Um, Tom Brady has been getting the ball out of his hand relatively quickly, which kind of stinks. But you know, again, it it's, it comes down to one of those situations where you got to decide what you want to do. Do you want to play dink and dunk football, or do you want to attack the the Packers defense? We know he can, we know Tom can play some dink and dunk. No question. He did that all the, all of his career in New England. But he's also got some big weapons and some. And that was that was always the big confusing thing with with Tampa Bay is that this is a down-the-field aerial assault type of football team. It was already one of the best offenses in football last year, despite being a bad football team. The problem wasn't the offense, though. It was the defense and a quarterback that had 600,000 interceptions. But in terms of yards and points, they were dominant. So you've got these receivers that are kind of built for attacking down the field, and you got a quarterback that likes to dink and dunk. It'll be interesting, but regardless, um, on average, Tom Brady's getting the ball out of his hand in 2.4 seconds. Goff in that game against the Packers, 2.3 and he was under duress the whole game. So, again, it'll be interesting. I'm sure to start the game off, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will want to run the ball, try to establish some success with that, and, and play the dink and dunk game and see if they can do that. But at some point, again, if, if, the, if the Tampa Bay defense isn't able to shut down the Packers' offense and the offense gets rolling, you're going to have to open it up at some point. And, again, that, that's where other teams have struggled because they don't have that ability. The Bears didn't have that ability. Tampa, or excuse me, Tennessee didn't really have that ability to drop back and throw. L.A. doesn't have that ability. Tom Brady does, but are they going to want to? Because now you're playing into the hands of what the Packers defense wants to be able to do. You you, you drop back, you're going to start seeing guys like Zadarius, Rashawn, Jair, Darnell Savage. That's when those guys come to life. Adrian Amos. Haven't really seen them because they're throwing four-yard passes. It's hard for Darnell Savage to get another pick when there's no pass beyond four yards. But that'll be the big thing. Can the offense kind of put some pressure on Tampa Bay to, to, to man up and play big boy football. But anyways, there you go. Uh, Packers, again, they, they just continue to improve. The, the the one thing that's been lacking for this team has been pass rush. And uh, this was one of the most dominant pass rush performances, not by everybody, but but just in general. Again, when you, when you look at the context, not just the stats themselves, but the context of, of what we're dealing with, the Packers had no business getting that many pressure. 2.3 seconds on average? And Rashawn and Zadarius combined for 14 pressures. That's impossible. I mean, I don't, I don't know where the deficiency is with this team anymore. It used to be a mediocre pass rush, but they've got a great safety duo. They got the best corner in football. They've got arguably the best quarterback, although it could be the guy on the other side. A, a, an offensive line that is just completely in sync, not just as as pass blockers, but they're doing a great job run blocking. A three-headed monster at running back. 
the scheme is completely dialed in, offensively and defensively. I mean, run defense is the only real serious issue. And, and again, you want to try to win a divisional championship against one of the best, hottest teams in football by just running the ball? That's not going to work. There has to be a, a, a secondary option for you. So, I don't know. It's going to be a good game. No question about it. But I, I think nothing would make me happier than Tom Brady under constant duress, especially considering what happened the last time where Tampa Bay was able to dial up a ton of pressure against the Green Bay Packers and make uh, Aaron Rodgers look not great. Boy, oh boy, would I love for Tom to just have a, a clunker of a day because he is just being assaulted. I mean, I, I really want him to leave the stadium and go straight to his attorney and file battery charges against the entire defensive line for the Green Bay Packers. That would make me so happy. By the way, real quick, one last thing. Under pressure, I mentioned Aaron Rodgers uh, grading out not super great, but he's actually has the third highest passer rating when under pressure. 48 completions on 108, uh, 106 attempts. He has a adjusted completion percentage of 64.6%. Eight touchdowns, one interception, 720 yards. Tom Brady, on the other hand, is down here. He is 28th out of 42 quarterbacks. He has a 54.5 NFL passer rating when under pressure. 57 completions on 130 attempts, 57.9 adjusted completion percentage, four touchdowns, five interceptions. The biggest thing in this game is the fact that neither of these quarterbacks are are under pressure hardly at all. The uh, let's see, Aaron Rodgers has been pressured the fourth least, Tom Brady the fifth least. So they've been in clean, comfortable pockets all year, just picking defenses apart. That's been the story. But going forward, you've got the Packers who had one game in which Aaron Rodgers is under constant pressure and played badly. That was against Tampa. You've also got Tampa Bay going up against a defense that suddenly discovered its pass rush all over again that is reinvigorated, especially with... And, and I Didn't I tell you Rashawn was going to have a... or uh, Zedarius was going to have a good day with the crowd being back? He just feeds off that stuff. Maybe I didn't... I sold somebody that. I don't know. The crowd is a big deal, and there's going to be fans again. I think they said 6,500 more fans um, in the stands again. I, I just think Zadarius in particular. The defense in general feeds off of that, but the, the pass rush, and especially Zadarius, it just does something for him, man. You get that crowd roaring on a third and long, and Zadarius is just coming. So, anyways, I get second day in a row, and I'm having a hard time jumping off here. I'm just, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I should probably get some of these hoodies sent out. I got to select a winner because I think that ad finally just ended. So I'm going to select three winners for the giveaway for that, and then i got a couple others to give out, so that's what I'll be doing for the day. But you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>